Hello and welcome to Beyond Consulting, brought to you by ECA Partners, the only podcast dedicated to helping you navigate your career after consulting. So for those of you joining for the first time, you can think of this show as addressing the question, what can I do with my life after so many hours spent in PowerPoint and Excel? I'm Ken Canera, host of Beyond Consulting and CEO of ECA Partners, a specialized project staffing and executive search firm focused on former consultants. Each week, we talk to experts that have successfully transitioned out of consulting or executives that hire consultants. This week is a little bit different, though. We're going to tackle the question that I get asked all the time by principals or partners at consulting firms, and that is, what should I do? Should I leave consulting altogether? Should I switch to another firm and attempt to level jump? Or should I stay here? Like most answers, it depends. And there are a lot of factors that you need to consider. Today's guest, Sean Wheeler, will help us navigate this complex problem. Sean is a former senior partner at A.T. Kearney and currently a fellow at Stanford. He's part of the Distinguished Careers Institute currently and spent most of his time in consulting across Ernst & Young, Booz & Company, Deloitte, and most recently at A.T. Kearney. He's also worked all over the world, including the U.S., Europe, Asia, and the Middle East, where actually I first met him. But before we say hi to Sean, please make sure to subscribe to our podcast so that we can notify you of future episodes and check out eca-partners.com if you want to get into contact with us. Let's welcome Sean to the studio. Hi, Sean. Good morning, Ken. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome. You're in San Francisco, is that right? I'm actually in Palo Alto, which is where Stanford University is. It's just outside of San Francisco, Um, but pretty close, pretty close, about 20 minutes outside of San Francisco. Excellent. And and, and how long have you been there? I began my fellowship here uh, in January. We were slightly delayed due to COVID. Uh, I was supposed to start in September, uh, but Stanford only partially opened in September, and they allowed the fellows back on campus in January. Yes. So, so Sean, thanks so much for, for joining. This is, our, this is our inaugural episode. So, you know, it's fun to have you on. What I was hoping to get into today is a couple things. So I, I wanted to, I, first, I wanted to kind of understand your role now and, and, and then kind of take a step back and, and get your kind of whole story and how you got to where you are now. And then really dig into kind of like how consulting influenced that. And then also kind of, um, you know, what consulting I guess what it did to prepare you for what you're doing now and um, and kind of where it maybe uh, left some gaps as well. And, and, and then a few other topics, um, including kind of how you navigated throughout the different kind of firms and maybe what lessons you've learned. I think our listeners will find that pretty interesting. Perfect. I kind of want to get to your overall career story and take a step back in, in terms of kind of like, okay, rewind the clock and how you got there. So if I'm not mistaken, you started in investment banking. Is that right? I did. I have an undergraduate degree in economics and finance, double major. And my natural path uh, when I left was to become a financial analyst. So I became a financial analyst at an investment bank. I sat on an energy desk um, and I did quite a bit of quantitative analysis for them for two or three years before I uh, did my MBA in London. And uh, I was lucky enough, I think at the time, to get an internship offer in consulting. I didn't know much about consulting, but I took the internship offer and uh, I, I, I kind of fell in love with consulting and was then offered a position after my MBA in London uh, and then started as a management consultant in London. 
that's how my career began. So you said you fell in love with consulting. So uh, I, I can, I can, <laughs> I can understand that. I, I enjoyed consulting as well. Uh, what, what did you love about consulting from kind of an early career point of view? I think when you're a financial analyst for an investment bank, you're really working on your own a lot, and you're doing a lot of quantitative analysis. So I did a lot of modeling work. Um, and I, the consulting was a really refreshing and different in the sense that it was team-oriented, um, and it was all about solving complex problems that each were different. So each assignment had a different set of problems, a different set of client issues, um, and a different team, a different consulting team associated with it. And I. I liked um, just the variety of work and the variety of different problems that we were asked to try and solve for clients. And it was very different from my banking experience. And I uh, that's what I really liked about it. I did well as an intern. And when they offered me a position, I was I was grateful. Okay. Um, so let's let's dig into so so this is a topic. Uh, that I get asked about all the time, which is, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm at a consulting firm and I'm kind of trying to decide what to do next. So this is a cross level. This, this, this can be there, be a kind of a manager level, a principal or a partner level. I'm trying to decide, Hey, should I, should I make a switch to another firm? Should I um, try to stay and get promoted or should I make an exit to industry? So if you think about kind of like your various, um, various transitions. How could, could you maybe walk me through those, through those, and kind of like your thinking uh, for each of them? Well, it, it depends really on where you want to be at the end. So, if if you if you are a manager in a consulting firm in a in a large firm, um, there are quite prescribed paths that you have to take to continue to progress, and you're you're more than likely uh, to be asked to do the same sort of work, you know, in the same industry. Um, over and over again. Um, and that's good if it's something that you really like to do. Um, but it's not so good if you want a little bit more variety uh, in in your professional experiences. So the decision really is where do you want to be at the end? If you If you are happy in a very prescribed path, then a big firm is it's a place you're likely to be comfortable working in. Um, if you like a little bit more variety and a little bit more freedom and the ability to choose the type of problems you want to solve, uh, then you may not want to stay with one of the established firms um, that really have well-defined paths that you must follow in order to progress. The the industry question is an interesting one. And I, I actually thought about that a number of times. You know, would I like to... Uh, go to work, for example, for one of the clients um, that I had been working for as a management consultant. And, and it's attractive because you, you, when you're a consultant, you're kind of coming in from the outside, you're answering a specific set of questions, and then you, you back away. If you join uh, a client, let's say, or you join a corporate, um, you, are, you are suddenly working within that system um, and you're, you're a member of that team. And if that is something that excites you, if being semi-independent as a management consultant isn't as attractive to you, then you know joining a corporate it, it may be a better path for you uh, to progress. Um, but I think the, the the downside of the the big firms now is that they really do have very prescriptive paths for people to follow. So your transition from Deloitte to Booz that was one, correct? Correct. 
And then if you think about kind of next year transition from booze, which is now strategy and to Kearney, um, can we start uh, with the transition to Deloitte uh, to booze and kind of like, you know, where you were in your career and what, you know, what you were thinking about and then why you ultimately made that switch? So Deloitte was, you know, as you know, a big four firm. It had a big corporate finance group in London. I was in consulting, but I was doing quite a bit of M&A work. So we were really closely aligned with the corporate finance function. So I was involved in pre-deal and, you know, post-merger integration work. And again, it was quite uh, prescribed at Deloitte. I was going to continue to do that sort of work, um, and I would progress based on my ability to deliver in that sort of work. Booze came along and, you know, Booze, Booze is one of the old strategy or was one of the old strategy firms. And I, and I think the problems that they were solving were a little bit more interesting. So that transition for me was a transition from a very prescribed M&A centric path at Deloitte into a more strategic path at Booze. And I found that very attractive, and and I, I I loved that transition, and I loved joining Booz. So that's interesting, Sean. Okay, so I I understand that. So this was more so your transition from Deloitte to Booz was more about the types of questions and the types of problems you were solving. Is that is that kind of a fair synopsis? That's correct. Okay, but Deloitte was very M and A centric work, pre deal and post deal, and I knew that if I stayed. I would be probably doing that type of work for the rest of my career. Booze was a more traditional strategy firm where the problems that you face, the client issues that you're you're helping to resolve, were a little bit more broad and a little bit more strategic. Okay, very good. And when you ultimately switched to Booze, did you find that to be true? Yes, absolutely. I, you know, the Booze work was fascinating work because it was it was no two assignments were really ever the same. So when you when you made the switch and you were kind of on different project teams and different clients, so I understand that the the problems you were solving for those clients were a little bit more different, a little bit more strategic. How did it differ in terms of the team as well as the clients? Actually, it was interesting. The teams were smaller at Booz. Strategic teams are usually a bit smaller than, let's say, an M and A team, which is quite a big team. So my teams at Deloitte were were big. Um, and multifunctional teams uh, that were were there to do a specific thing related to a merger or an acquisition. Um, the boost the boost teams were smaller, um, and they they brought a different skill set to the table. Maybe slightly more qualitative than quantitative, more more market oriented, a little bit less analytical, um, but 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 you know, a broader, a broader set of skills answering a, a slightly different set of questions for clients. So that's interesting. So do you feel like just stepping back to Deloitte for one second, do you feel like that Deloitte experience of having kind of larger teams gave you a little bit of an advantage from a people leadership perspective? Because one of the things I've observed with the top tier strategy firms is exactly what you just said is they have smaller teams. And often folks will come out of those teams and it's hard for them to step into kind of real kind of like people leader roles because they've only ever managed two or three people. Do you, I guess, do you feel like the Deloitte experience kind of sets you up in a different way? 
Yes. Yes. The team management aspect in Deloitte was far more complicated. You know, you, you had corporate finance people, you had consulting people. At times, you even had an auditor involved. And and so you had to manage a, you know, a very um, a, a large group of people who had very different skills and they had to work pretty quickly in the type of work that I was doing at Deloitte. But, you know, booze teams were smaller and and. When I became more senior in booze, when I became a partner and I ended up sitting on uh, appraisal committees, one of the big issues with those firms is you don't have as much in the way of people management experience, large scale team management experience. You're right. You know, the team size was three or four people at booze uh, and you were, you know, you, you didn't have to manage so much so quickly. Okay, so let's let's move on to to, to booze and, and now formally, or sorry, now called Strategy N. But the um, and and this is where Sean and I actually met. Actually, Sean, I'll, I'll let you tell the story. But we we first met in Kuwait, in, and you were on uh, you were on an oil and gas project, and I kind of showed up that day. But I'll let you kind of tell the story. Well, we had arrived at a client that wanted to build a new strategy, so a, you know a very long term strategy for their upstream operations, which, you know, as you and I both know, Ken, is the majority of operations for a national oil company in a country like Kuwait. Now, that is a that is a quite an interesting exam question. Um, and as you say, uh, there was a small group of us, three or four people, and we were we started on a uh, a Sunday because that was when the work week started in Kuwait and you arrived and we immediately you know, had to collect a huge amount of qualitative and quantitative data. Um, and and we were running pretty quickly, as you can remember, running workshops and things of that nature to try to get the data we needed to help them build their strategy. So that was how we met. For our listeners, we also uh, had, a, had a fun kind of first week because it was probably what 120 degrees Fahrenheit out, and um, and Sean Sean said to me, having known him for two days now, um, okay, who wants to go for a run? This was after work, and I and I immediately uh, had two thoughts, which was one, this guy's crazy, and 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 two, I really like him. So yeah, uh, and, and we did, we we ran that day, right? We did, we we went, we we ran actually in Kuwait. It was about 110 or 120 degrees. It was in the afternoon, so it was the sun wasn't as strong, but it was a team bonding experience, right? There were only a few of us, Ken, on the ground. As I said, it was a it was a four person team, if I remember correctly, um, and we we you know we got pretty close pretty quickly because we were working long long hours. But we were we were fitting in some exercise and other things as well. I still remember that day as a very fun one. Excellent. Okay. Well, let me get let me get kind of back to it. I'm sure our listeners don't want to kind of hear about our, our running stories. They they'd rather learn about your time at Booz and then how you ultimately. So if I'm not mistaken, so you were promoted to partner at Booz and then Booz was acquired by PwC. And was that what prompted the transition to Kearney or was it something else? No, it was that was what prompted the transition. I was very happy at Booz. Um, I had started uh, in London, I think, as I told you, and then moved to the Middle East, where you and I met. Um, and we had we were we had quite a, an impressive growth uh, story, as you will remember, in the Middle East uh, with Booze. But then Booze was sold. Uh, we took a decision. I voted in favor of the sale, and uh, and at that point, I had to think about what I wanted to do. 
Um, and I had a number of different offers from different strategy firms, but the one from Carney was the most interesting because it was a, it was really a growth. They wanted to grow in the way Booz had grown uh, in the Middle East. Uh, and they offered me a, a really interesting position on their leadership team. Uh, and I, and I took it and really never looked back. That's interesting. And did you, I'm guessing you explored options with other firms as, as well? I did. I had offers from other firms. Uh, but the but the Carney offer was an interesting one because, uh, as I said, they were relatively small in the Middle East. Um, I had gone through quite an interesting period at Booz in the Middle East of growth. So I, I, I thought I understood how to grow a consulting business in the Middle East. Uh, and that was really what Carney was looking for from me. And in the end, we, we, we grew Carney exponentially in the Middle East. Wow. Okay. So both. Uh, so if I think about your transition from Deloitte to Booz, and I think about your Booz transition from Booz to Kearney, both were really focused on the, the opportunity and the problems that you were going to solve um, more so than anything. Is that right? Yes. Kearney had a, a really interesting operational supply chain set of expertise, which my hypothesis was was very appropriate for the Middle East. And it turned out to be correct because, you know, they, they had they had very specific operational and supply chain issues that needed to be resolved, a variety of different clients. Uh, and so we were kind of perfectly positioned to advise them. And I guess at that point in your career, were you considering other options outside of consulting as well? Yes, I had a number of, of, of different uh, offers. So I had a number of consulting offers. I had a, uh, a CEO offer. Uh, for a firm in Abu Dhabi, which I seriously considered, but the Carney offer at the time f- felt the most challenging, and and where I would I would I would be the happiest, given my set of experiences there. And from what I understand, I mean, uh, you you obviously did quite well there. You were promoted to senior partner, um, and you opened up new geographies and, and clients for Kearney. Could you could you tell us a little bit about kind of uh, that and your specifically your work in Turkey? Yes, my my last posting at Kearney was as the managing partner for Turkey in the Black Sea, uh, and that's a regional partner role, which uh, is is again a different set of challenges um, and a different set of objectives associated with it. And our goal was to take what we had learned in the Middle East relative to growing the business and grow it in a similar way in in Turkey in the Black Sea region, which is all the way from Azerbaijan over to to Turkey and Bulgaria and places like that. So I I accepted that role. um, And again, I loved that role. Uh, we, we, We grew Turkey significantly. And, uh, and, it, and, and I was spending more time running a business, running a consulting business and a little bit less time client facing, but working with other teams who were, uh, delivering at different clients. And I, I guess if you kind of compare the, the, those two roles, right. One is more running a business as you, as you point out, and one is more running engagements, which did you enjoy more? I mean, I've always liked the clients as you know, Ken. Um, but I also liked, you know, running a ledger, running an office, you know, doing more in the way of internal recruitment, doing more in the way of marketing the firm. Uh, so, you know, it involved more media. It involved, you know, speaking to different thought leaders in the Turkey market uh, around, you know, how we 
how we might be able to help them. So I like both roles. I, I, I've always liked the client work. But I think the managing partner role offered me the opportunity to run a business, which is which is different than delivering a specific assignment to a client. For our listeners, uh, w- one of the things I can attest to, having worked for Sean, is uh, he was very much the the partner that uh, that was uh, you know very much in the in the weeds. He 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 wasn't afraid to <laughs> you know want to open up your PowerPoint deck or you know double click on your model and 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 you know, get, get really into it. Uh, so I always had to, <laughs> I always had to be prepared and be on my A game. So, okay. So that's, that's good. So, so then, then you're a senior partner, uh, you're, you're running the Turkey business for Kearney. Uh, and then, uh, you know, obviously you, you made another change, which was to, uh, which was to at least temporarily or, or permanently, you know, still TBD, uh, leave consulting and, and pursue, uh, what you're doing now. How did you think about, I guess, you know, leaving this career that, you know, you had spent, you know, quite a decent amount of time in. I, I imagine it wasn't just, I imagine it was a, it wasn't just a purely kind of pragmatic question. I'm sure it was a lot bigger than that. It was. And, and uh, you know, I think an opportunity like the, the Institute I've joined at Stanford doesn't come along every day. And, uh, and I was excited about doing that and doing something very different. I had also spent uh, we've walked through it. I had spent 26 years in big firms, um, you know, following a pretty uh, prescriptive path in order to succeed. And I, and I was really ready for a little bit more freedom. I was ready to t- touch back into academia. Stanford's program is, I think, probably the best in the world for someone like me. Um, and I decided this was a good inflection point, to use your words, uh, for me, because I have another hopefully 20 to 30 year run. I think that's the the case as well. The um, okay, so then if you kind of look back holistically uh, at your consulting career, if you could do it over again, it, you know, so you're starting over as an as an analyst, what w- what would you do differently? I think I I think what consulting offers now um, as I said repeatedly is a very prescriptive path, especially if you're working for a big firm. Um, and and that worked for me. But I think if you're a young consultant now, you have so much more in the way of you know opportunity to do more of a variety of different types of things, um, be it in a big firm, be it outside a big firm. Um, and I think you can build a really interesting set of skills if you don't limit yourself to you know these well-defined paths that the big firms offer. So if I, you know, if I were a young consultant doing it, doing it again, I, you know, I might, I might take some time out from a big firm, you know, go off and do an interesting assignment because I found it interesting. And then if necessary, touch back into a big firm, if I felt that there was an offer on the table that, that would continue to build my skills. I think young people have a lot more freedom to choose what they want to do now than, than the choices that I had, uh, which were a big firm, big consulting firm, big bank, you know, or start my own business. And that was probably, those were the choices I had. Yeah, it was, it's funny. It was a lot more kind of prescript and yeah, these are the three paths, right? Whereas now it seems like things are a little bit more fluid and, you know, you can stay with a firm for two years and you can even go back to that same firm, which, you know, it wasn't as common, I would say, you know, you know, 10, 20 years ago. Now, one of the things, one of the interesting things your listeners 
uh, might appreciate is I ended up sitting on committees associated with how to give people more flexibility in their careers. And, you know, we allowed leave of absences that never would have been allowed when I was a young consultant, you know, allow people to go and spend six to 12 months just doing something completely different. You know, building building houses in Africa, or taking a taking an a, an independent assignment for a client on, because it was a particularly interesting assignment. Those were those those opportunities didn't exist for me, but now they do. That's that's true. Yeah, in fact, Bain has a really good uh, secondment program where you can even stay with the firm and go go work at a, a client or not even a client for for six months. Um, and, and, and people often come back and then they'll go to business school. And, and like you said, it's, it's, it's a lot less prescript, um, which, which I think is a good thing. I guess the other question I had is if you think about your consulting career as a whole, where, where do you feel like it really prepared you for kind of where you're at now? And, and where do you feel like there, there are some kind of, there's some gaps? Well, I think if we wind the tape back, I think the, the, the M&A work that I did at, at Deloitte the pre-deal and post-deal work in big teams, a lot of you know emphasis on the quantitative analysis. Those are great skills to build, and 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 those skills, uh, as you said, when I was looking at your models, um, were were great skills to have even when you become senior, when you become a partner, and you're not as close to uh, to the nitty gritty of the work. So that was great. I think the you know the move into a strategic firm allowed for solving different types of problems, building strategies, making bigger decisions, supporting CEOs to make big business decisions. And again, that set of skills um, is a very useful set of skills to have, even if you want to exit consulting and start your own business, or you want to go off and do something independently of a big firm. That was also helpful. And the third thing I would say is running an office, running a, a geography, running a region, um, allowed me to build uh, business management skills and team management skills and recruitment skills that have also, you know, been really helpful for me. So my choices were helpful because I was learning lots of different things at different points in my career. The other thing that you did, which was pretty unique, is you worked across a variety of ge- geographies, if, if if I'm not mistaken. So you worked uh, in in Europe. I, I think you even did. Pro- uh, I think you've even done a project in in Russia. You've done work in um, you know obviously the Middle East. You know when, when I when I met you, um, do you feel like that really added to the variety of the complexity of the problems that you were solving? Yes, because I think each region has a different set of dynamics. You know, in Europe. It was about increased efficiency across borders, you know, relatively small countries that were acting independently that needed to act in a more coordinated fashion to improve results. Middle East, I think, as I said to you before, and in your own experience, you'll know this, was all about, you know, operations, building more resilient operations and long-term strategies that would allow their the clients to, uh, to succeed. Uh, and they didn't necessarily have those skills inside uh, their organizations. Um, you know, some of the other markets, I also did some work in the United States. The United States is very different. It's very, very financially focused, very results focused, very specific KPI focused. So each region was different. Um, and I would recommend to young people that they work in a variety of different regions because you learn different things because there are different imperatives. 
there are different issues that need to be resolved. How did the, so building on that, how did the sales kind of process or kind of client relationship building process differ from region to region? It's a good question. Um, it, you know, in, in, in Europe and in the Middle East, it was very relationship centric. So they would often go back to people um, that they had worked with previously um, and they knew would deliver good quality. So it was a very relationship-centric market. In the United States, it was probably a little bit more transactional. Um, you know, who comes to them with the best team at the best price um, and can deliver as quickly as possible? Uh, so each each market had again had its own set of sales dynamics, um, and the United States was was more transactional, um, and Europe and the Middle East were. We're slightly more relationship oriented. Well, excellent. The no, this is this has been super helpful. I, I think the biggest thing that I've probably taken from our conversation, and and it's interesting because I've known you for quite some time, but I feel like I, I've gotten a much better perspective on why you made the changes that you did throughout. And interestingly enough, it, it seems like the common theme was at the at the highest level, really about kind of like the opportunity that you know another firm offered versus another you know, more holistically than, than anything else. And, and the problems that you'd be solving, not necessarily like, I guess, you know, okay, this was a, you know, different, different comp package, you know, it, I guess it was more about the, the, the higher level things versus kind of like the, the details that we tend to, I would say, overly focus on. I would agree with that. And I think, you know, for your listeners benefit, I think it is all about building a diverse set of skills um, and having an end state in mind, um, and and the variety of the work that you do, whether it's working in different regions or different types of work, it builds it builds a really nice toolkit that then you can take forward to support whatever end goal you've defined for yourself. And don't be frightened to change, change firms, change geographies. Um, because you want to minimize risk. I think, you know, risk taking, um, is, is nicely aligned with skills building. And in, in my profession, you have to take some risk to build some new skills. So just to actually just to double click on that, that risk uh, point you bring up, Sean, one of the things I hear a lot of uh, concern around is risk as it relates to networks, right? So at a consulting firm, there's almost you have to build your own network right within the firm. Um, just could you talk to us a little bit how you thought about that as as you transitioned from firm to firm? I, it's not something we covered earlier, but it just kind of struck me as something that I, I guess I, I do hear a lot from from our listeners. I think it's an issue. I think networks are really important in the consulting industry. I think your skills drive the development of your networks. If you have great skills that you can bring to a team. And, you know, you contribute effectively in that team. Your network follows naturally, be it a client network or be it a network within a firm. If you have something to offer to a partner or to a senior in a consulting firm, you, you will be welcomed into a team. And I, and, I, and I never felt as if it was difficult to build a new network as long as I was able to contribute something to an assignment or to a deliverable or to a client or to another member of my firm. Yeah, and ultimately you ended up with with a much broader network as post consulting now as a result, right? I mean, uh, you have friends and former colleagues uh, across all the, all the major firms at this point. 
Yes, and I've kept in contact with a lot of them, as you know. And the team bonding experience in consulting is is a strong one. Uh, so you end up, you know, keeping relationships going with people over long periods of time. Yeah, uh, no, and, and especially in in the Middle East where we work together, where I mean, you're essentially living living with people. But um, the um, okay, no, that that's that's really helpful because um, again, like I said, a lot of our ne- a lot of our our listeners are worried about making that switch because they've done such a good job of kind of like building up that kind of like internal trust and network. But your point is well taken. If you do good work, you're naturally going to attract, uh, you know, folks that are interested in working with you, whether that's the current firm or or a new firm. And I think taking that risk, you know, I, I always argue in favor of taking a risk because it's likely to help you build new skills. Uh, so do, I, I would recommend to your listeners not to sit back and be excessively risk averse. Take some risk. You'll learn some interesting things. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that that's, that's definitely true and, and, and a testament to kind of where, where you're at now. The transition from, you know, senior partner at a, at a, a top tier strategy firm to back to being a student is, you know, on this, on the surface, a, a risky move. But when, when you dig into it, it's, it, like you said, it's, it's a good kind of inflection point to take stock of, of what you want to do next. Speaking of our listeners, uh, one of the things that we're trying to do is build a library of recommended books from folks like yourself. If you had one or two kind of book recommendations that have helped you kind of during your career, what would what would they be? Well, I, there's one I really like, and um, I've actually read it twice, and it's called When We Cease to Understand the World. It's by an author named Benjamin Labatut, and he looks back at 20th century thinkers and he looks at their scientific breakthroughs and and the gains and the costs associated with those breakthroughs it's a, it's kind of a hybrid of fiction and non-fiction and so you don't necessarily know what's completely true and what's not true but there are some real lessons that come out of that book it's a fantastic book i would highly recommend it to your listeners and in fact i've recommended it to a few people at stanford who are now reading that book and have come back to me to say how much they like it. So that that's kind of my favorite book uh, at the moment. And it's called When We Cease to Understand the World, and I didn't catch the author name. The author is Benjamin Labatut. I've never heard of that book, so I, I, I'm actually interested in checking it out myself. It's a fantastic book. I highly recommend it. Well, excellent. Sean, this has been immensely helpful for our listeners and me personally too as well. Uh, I feel like I've gotten a lot out of the conversation, even though I've kind of known you for... Uh, qu- quite some time. I guess just wanted to ask if you had any kind of closing thoughts. You you have a good idea of our audience and the type of things that they're wondering at, at the various points in their career. I just I wanted to see if you had any kind of closing thoughts or, or um, observations given our audience. No, I mean, I think your audience has, you know, a wealth of opportunity. And I think they should seek interesting pieces of work that build a diverse set of skills. And then with that diverse set of skills, you can work toward any end point you want to work toward. And don't be afraid to take some risks. Sean, thanks so much for, for, for being our inaugural guest on Beyond Consulting. This was really informative for me. And best of luck uh, at Stanford. And you'll have to keep us apprised uh, if, uh, if and when you do something differently um, after, after your time there. I will. And I was, I was very happy to speak to you today. 
Well, thanks again. And just for our listeners, as a reminder, uh, you can check out our podcast on Apple and Spotify and just uh, make sure to subscribe for future episodes. And if you're interested in learning more about ECA, that's eca-partners.com or beyondconsulting.info. Thanks so much.